between my legs, between my legs, go. The squirrel was like running between the legs and then try and flip the squirrel. Somatic sexologist Morgan Penn is back with Hayley Sproul for a new season of Sex.Life. So more and more little pets started appearing and some horses for the pony play. Sex.Life, a new episode every Wednesday. Listen on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Wild Secrets. Welcome to Trip Notes, a New Zealand Herald travel podcast helping keep your travel dreams alive. I'm your host, Juliet Sivitson. In this podcast, we're all about listening to wonderful, inspiring travel stories without you needing to go anywhere. So in this episode, we're going to head to Alaska. You're going to hear a reading of a travel article written by journalist Anna Harrison about her efforts to find the sometimes elusive and definitely mysterious phenomenon that is the Aurora Borealis. The article was published in the Herald in April 2017. So sit back, relax and maybe wrap up because this one might make you feel a little bit chilly. It's the one thing that's on everyone's bucket list, right? Seeing the Northern Lights? I never thought I'd get the chance. But the day I step off the plane in Anchorage, I'm told the forecast that night is pretty good. I can't believe my luck. They say if you want to spot the Aurora Borealis in Alaska, you should go another 400 kilometres north to Fairbanks, where the skies are often clear and stay at least three nights. And even then, there are no guarantees. I had been trying not to get my hopes up. But this winter night, it's a relatively high 5kp index and a forecast of clear skies with maximum 7% cloud cover. All of which means the chances of seeing the aurora are pretty good, even in Anchorage. Jet lag be damned. I put on two lots of thermals, a fleece layer and climb into oversized snow pants and jacket. I stick activated charcoal toe warmers into my thick woolen socks and shove my feet in my boots. Glove liners, gloves, hat, scarf, hand warmers. I'm so trussed up I can hardly move. Jody Overstreet runs Alaska Photo Treks, a small business offering Aurora Quest photo tours. She takes groups out away from the city lights and then offers tips for capturing the aurora with whatever camera setup you have. Although, I foolishly forgot to pack mine and suspect my phone camera will prove woefully inadequate. She picks up a small group of us from our hotels about 10.30pm and we head north to a remote spot called Eklutna, about half an hour out of town. Jodie explains a bit about how to spot the aurora. It will start out as a faint arc across the sky and then, when it is about to get really active, It will glow brighter and suddenly split off into different strands and start flicking around. The displays usually last around 15 minutes. She explains some of the science behind it. When charged particles from the sun travel towards Earth and the solar wind, most of them are deflected by our planet's magnetic field. But as the field is weaker around the poles, some particles enter the atmosphere there and collide with gases such as oxygen and nitrogen, producing different colours and stunning displays when seen from the Earth's surface. That's the bit I care about. 
Jody also tells us how different people through the ages have had different mythologies around the aurora. Occasionally, when solar storms were particularly violent, the aurora could be seen at latitudes as low as the Mediterranean Sea. When activity was that strong, it could take on a red tinge, and the Romans of ancient times saw that as a bad omen. It must have been terrifying seeing the horizon glow red at night. But the people living near the Arctic Circle saw the aurora more often and had more benevolent stories. For some native Alaskans, it was the spirits of their ancestors dancing. For others, it was a group of walruses kicking around a ball. The woman in the front seat yells, there it is. She points, and the rest of us crane to see it through the windscreen. But try as I might, I can't spot it. The side windows are fogged up, and the only green lights I can see are reflections from the dashboard. So tantalisingly close. But still, it bodes well for our evening viewing. Soon enough, we come to the wooded spot and park before trudging single file through the snow. A sneaky trick to get us moving and warmed up in the minus 10 degrees Celsius temperatures. Jody's headlight casts an eerie glow among the bare trees, illuminating clumps of snow clinging to the branches. After about 15 minutes of walking, we come to a clearing don't go down too far, you don't want to fall into the icy river, Jody warns as she lights a small campfire in the hollow in the snow. As everyone sets up their tripods, I wander away to find a good spot and take a few test shots with my phone. They come up black. <laughs> the skies are pretty clear apart from a faint white smudge near the horizon. It could be the start of an aurora, or it could be cloud or even just mist rising from the river, it's hard to tell. I take my glasses off and try to wipe the lenses. They're fogged up from my breathing into my scarf to try and keep my face warm. In the end, I put them in my pocket next to my phone. Staring at the sky, I try to pick out constellations from the brightest stars. But apart from Orion's belt, they're all unfamiliar northern ones. An American woman points out the Big Dipper to me, and a shooting star streaks across the sky. Then that white smudge on the horizon slowly forms into an arc and disappears again. It's almost as if it's teasing us. I can hear the fire crackling as sparks fly into the air, snow creaking beneath our boots, a train in the distance. Jody shares a few more tips for the photographers. Set it for a longer exposure so you capture as much light as possible Use the silhouetted trees as a reference point. Don't worry about the light from the moon. It will only make the snow show up brighter and the contrast will be more stark. And still that smudge fades in and out until someone points out that it has started to glow. All eyes are glued to it now, waiting to see what it will do. A vertical line of white light slowly extends up from the smudge. Then another, faint at first, then becoming more defined. It is the aurora, but it's not as green as I thought it would be. Jody explains that the camera picks up more light than the naked eye, which is why it's so green in all the photos you see. Then it disappears again. I'm a bit underwhelmed. Is that it? I thought it would be more spectacular. But Jody's unfazed. You have to be patient, she says. We say the best time to see the aurora is half an hour after you go to bed, she laughs. 
So we gather around the fire, cradling hot chocolate and polystyrene cups, trying to warm our hands. But after another half hour of futile sky scanning, Jody announces we'll try another spot. She drives us to an old rail bridge over the Kanak River. A whisper of cloud sits over the mountains at the far bank. Everyone gets their tripods out and trains their lenses on the cloud anyway, hoping it will lift. Then, while everyone is peering at their screens and focusing their cameras, I look up and there it is. Patches of white light flickering across the sky overhead. I stand there silent and as still as I can, not wanting to interrupt the magic of it. The light flashes and disappears as if giants are dancing around a huge campfire and I'm watching from a distance, the moving bodies casting odd shadows. Then it spreads until the whole sky is pulsing with light. The others have noticed now too and there's a muted chorus of oh my and wow. We are watching this visual symphony being played out on a grand stage. It is too vast to take in. I start to get a crick in my neck from stretching back to watch it, but I can't take my eyes off it. Then it begins to split. Vertical shafts of green light shoot up like a bad 80s laser show. Spires, Jody calls them, like a Disney castle. In the background, the river of light ripples across the sky. It is truly spectacular. And I am moved thinking that this magnificence has been lighting up the northern skies for millennia, long before we were around to appreciate it. I feel rather small in the context of time and space and have to blink back tears. As I squeeze my eyes shut, the ice on my eyelashes melts away. It never gets old, Jody says. It's different every time, and knowing the science behind it doesn't diminish the magic of it. I can imagine that. I've only been watching it for half an hour, and I want to stay up all night, and every night I'm here, gazing at the sky. Eventually, I start to lose the feeling in my toes, and I'm forced to retreat to the van to warm up. As I climb into bed later, I can still see it flashing in my mind, Frustrating in its capriciousness, but in the end, utterly enchanting. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. You've been listening to Trip Notes, a New Zealand Herald travel podcast, helping keep your travel dreams alive during the lockdown. If you liked this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating and review as that all helps others find us. And you can follow us on social media at NZH Travel on Instagram and Facebook, and read all our latest travel articles online, stories and advice from previous trips, and some armchair travel to keep you occupied at home. All this and more at nzherald.co.nz forward slash travel. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love our New Zealand Herald podcast, The Little Things, hosted by me, Francesca Rudkin, and my good friend, Louise Airy. We focus on all the little things that you can do to make a positive impact on your life and to cut through the confusion from the health and wellness industry. Join us every Saturday to hear from the experts for all the tips and advice you need. Just search The Little Things on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.